and you can open your Bibles to Philippians. And, you know, as I was listening to that, uh, to them sing that song, that <clears throat> one part that says uh, colored rainbow, I think, uh, all, all the colors that surround his throne. And I just, we, I, I don't think I said this before, but my wife and I love hummingbirds. They're just so amazing. They're just, uh, they're just an amazing critter. And she um, made, got some hummingbird feeders and got the right sugar water mix and stuff like that. And, and uh, so we've been enjoying them all summer. They've, they, they've migrated now. They migrate alone, which is interesting. Tiny little thing like that. And they migrate alone. They just like look at each other and say, I'm out of here. And they just go. I don't know. But uh, they have another cone in the back of their eye. We have three cones, I think. They have a fourth cone. And they see ultraviolet light. So that means they see a whole other set of colors that we don't see. Did you know there's a whole other set of colors out there in the universe that we don't know about? Can you imagine what's going to happen when we get to heaven and we, see, and we have ten more cones? <laughs> or a hundred more cones or a thousand more? Can you imagine the... So I asked an art teacher at school. I was subbing the other week and I asked an art teacher. I told an art teacher that. And I said, so if you took an extra cone and saw extra ultraviolet light in addition to our three primary colors, because our three primary colors... This is not even my sermon. Our three, <laughs> our three primary colors mixed together, uh, red, yellow, and blue, right? They mix together to form trillions of colors, shades and hues. So I said, what would happen if you add a fourth ultraviolet color? She said, oh, there'd just be no way to even comprehend what colors we would see. <laughs> Isn't heaven going to be wonderful? <laughs> it's just going to be amazing. Just gonna be. Okay, amen, let's just go home. No. Philippians, the second chapter. We're down into verse 14, and we want to talk about our calling again, but uh, positive steadfastness in our calling. Last week, we talked about practical Christianity uh, in verses 13, and then verses 14 and 15, we're going to isolate just those two verses, and we're going to continue talking about our calling. And, and, and Paul, uh, remember the movie, uh, a lot of you will not, but remember the movie Chitty Chitty Bang Bang? Bang, bang, chitty, chitty, bang, bang, chitty, chitty, bang, bang, I love you, right? Dick Van Dyke would get in that chitty, chitty, bang, bang. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, just Google it. There's tons of YouTube videos on it. And they'd get in that car, Model T or whatever it was, and it would take off into the air, and they'd fly over London, and they'd fly around castles, and they'd sing songs. It was so fun. Way up there in the beautiful sky. And then, then, the, then chitty, chitty, bang, bang would slowly come down to the ground, and they'd... They'd just go right onto the ground. And it was just so cool and so fun. They'd come down softly and everything. Well, Paul doesn't do things that way. The Apostle Paul takes us to the heights of creation. He takes us up into the third heaven with him. He takes us up into destiny. He takes us up into the revelation of Jesus and his exaltation and his conquering of all of the foes that we have. Wonderful places, the high places, just wonderful places. Then all of a sudden, in in the very next verse, he takes us from those high places down to things like obedience and work, right? And then now today down to do not murmur or complain. (laughs) <laughs> and, he, and he doesn't just glide us down like chitty chitty bang bang no 
He just brings us smack straight down onto all four. Boom. Not a highway. He brings us on like a dirt road with ruts and grooves and things like that. It's called rubber meets the road Christianity, right? We can't always live up there. We're down on the rubber meets the road. So we talked last week about the first aspect of our practical Christianity. That is to reign with him. We need to walk in humility, obedience, and work. It's like Jesus did. Humility, obedience, and work. That's what the Lord wants from us. But today we're going to talk about steadfastness then, a positive steadfastness, because we're going to talk about murmuring and complaining and things like that uh, in, uh, uh, in disputing in verse 14. And, and so we want, to, we want to make sure that we keep a positive side to this thing, uh, stay positive. We're always driven toward negativity, aren't we? Constantly, always our minds are driven toward negativity. So when I say steadfast, it's because we want to stay positive. So if we are to obey his good will in us and work toward his good pleasure in our lives, then believe me, that takes remaining steadfast and positive. It, it is a constant, constant task. So Paul begins in verse 14 with two words that are very interesting, complaining or murmuring and disputing. Uh, now, we're going to get back to murmur uh, a little bit later, but murmuring is really a, a secret debate or a hidden displeasure. <laughs> Anybody deal with hidden displeasures every day? Oh, Lord. Jim raised his hand and shouted. It's a, it's, that was not just a raise your hand. That was a raise your hand and a shout. Hallelujah. Uh, he's the only honest one in here. <laughs> and I think Paul uses this word because remember what he just got done talking about. He just got done talking about the Lord's good will and his good pleasure. And then he turns right around and talks about walking in displeasure. And it's very hard when we're in this world to maintain his good pleasure while we walk in this world where we're filled with displeasure and all the rest. So he starts with murmuring and then he, then he brings in a second one, disputing. I don't know what your translations may say, but the word is disputing, and it is a questioning argument. Mm. Now, we're going to stop here for a while, and we're going to delve into this a little bit, because this is one of my favorite words that Paul uses, and since I have the microphone, we're going to talk about my favorite word, because it's his favorite word. He uses it all through the New Testament, either in, in various forms, logismos, Dialogismos, which is here, or logizomai. He uses them all. And uh, you'll understand and see that the root word is logos. Everybody know what logos is. It means the word. It also is a thought in scripture, but it means word or thought. And dia means through. So this is Paul saying that this, this disputing is a form of through thinking. Through thinking. You take a thought, and you add another thought to it. And if you know anything about the way we think, you're already halfway to hell right there. Right? This is going to be real down to earth, folks. And, and believe me, the guy in the pulpit deals with this all the time too. We're all, we all deal with it. You take a thought, you add another thought to it, and then you keep building thoughts until they become a framework of thoughts and thinking. There could be so many good things about that, but there are so many bad things about that. Did you ever think a thought and then add a thought to it? Of course. 
did you ever think a good thought and then add a bad thought to it? (laughs) Did you ever think a bad thought and add another bad thought to it? (laughs) Oh, you're my kind of people. Donna said most definitely. Did you ever think a series of bad thoughts that eventually led to a bad situation? Yes. We all do it. That's what Paul's talking about here. Did you, did you ever notice, I should do it like Andy Rooney. Did you ever notice? If you don't know who Andy Rooney is, Google that. There are no books ever written about thinking negatively. Never. Every book that is written about our minds are written about how to think positively, how to change your thinking, how to move forward in thinking. We don't need a book to think negatively because we do it all the time. Nobody has to teach us how to think negatively. We just naturally do it. So we think a thought, we add a thought, then we add a third thought, and then we draw a conclusion from that thought. This is the basis of disputing. This is the way we do it. Now, we've, we do this so much that we have a name for it. It's called synthetic reasoning. And we do it so much that with that name, we have actually created a formula for it. Isn't it exciting? If A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. So we create synthetic reasoning. So we take a thought, we add a thought, we create a conclusion. From the conclusion, we add another thought and another thought and create another conclusion. So we have a string of conclusions that come from synthetic reasoning. That's what we do. Now, when we're building a bridge, that's probably okay. When we're designing a vehicle, that's probably okay. When we're trying to lay out the foundation of a home that we're building, that's probably good. We need to make sure that all the angles are square and things look right, etc., etc. But in life... Because of our negative mind, we tend to end up with a negative conclusion. Now, for those of you who don't like philosophy that I've been giving you or psychology, let's go to scripture then. You'll like scripture better. 2 Corinthians the 10th chapter. You know it by heart probably. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down arguments or vain imaginations. Guess what word that is there? Logismos, the same one that he just used in, second, in Philippians, the second chapter, verse 14. Casting down arguments and vain imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Do you know what happens whenever I create an argument in myself and create a negative argument with negative thoughts? You know what I'm doing? I am actually murmuring and complaining and exalting myself against God. That's what I'm doing. And then he ends it by saying, bringing into captivity 80% of your thoughts. Bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You say, why does he say every thought? Well, because the first thought could be good, but the second thought could be bad. So the first thought, you don't need to bring captive. But the second thought, guess what you need to do? Bring it captive to the obedience of the word. 
You say, Pastor, I'm just tired thinking about that. Mm-hmm. I know. One thought is added to a second thought and a third thought until it becomes an argument. And then the argument, you add other thoughts and it becomes a vain imagination. And you add another thought to it and you keep doing that until the whole framework becomes a stronghold. I, this, uh, this is not the amen section. This is the mumble, oh my, oh my section. So disputings occur when I think a wrong thought and keep adding more wrong thoughts until I have created an ingrained argument inside of me. <sighs> Did you ever think a good thought, add another good thought, add a third good thought, and keep thinking good thoughts until you build an entire good stronghold? Almost never. We don't do that. And I'm telling you right now, without this, it is impossible. You cannot build a stronghold of goodness without the word of God. You just can't do it. You can go ahead and try. Try it. You can't do it. Can't do it. Did, did, you ever, did you ever stand in front of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and think a thought? <laughs> did you ever think a thought while you're standing in front of the no- tree of knowledge of good and evil and then in conjunction with a voice that you hear from out of the tree telling you certain thoughts that you take those thoughts and you mix them all together in the garden? Yes, you have. You've done it. Believe me. Did you ever think thoughts while you were reaching up to take the fruit that God told you not to take, but while you're reaching up, you've created a whole bunch of arguments and thoughts as to why you should disobey God and take the fruit? Yes, you have done it. You did it yesterday, probably. If not this morning. (laughs) Here's an experiment for you. Here's an experiment when you go home. Try to think good thoughts for one hour. Pastor Grandi, you're laughing. <laughs> it depends on which football team you bet on, he said. <laughs> He's just joking, believe me. He's joking. He's joking. He's too cheap to bet now. <laughs> when he was back in the world, he'd blow money. He wouldn't think about it, but no. <laughs> it's hard. In order to think for one hour only good thoughts, you're going to have to shut off your phone. You're going to have to shut off your TV. You're going to have to shut off your radio. You're going to have to shut off everything. You're going to have to go out and sit in the woods and just look at the sky. And even then, an hour is going to be tough. You're still going to have to bring into captivity every thought. Because you know your mind does not stop thinking. It doesn't stop. Your mind never... It's not a computer. People say your mind is like a computer. No, it's not. Computers stop when you pull a plug. Your brain never, from the moment you made your first cry in the hospital until the day they close the casket lid, it never, ever stops. 24 hours a day, it thinks. 24 hours a day. That's the way God made it. So, do you realize that in order to do that, you're going to have to shut off the, the world, you're going to have to shut off the news, no internet, no cell phone, and every time that a thought or a person or a thing creeps inside of you or into your awareness, you're going to have to consciously control it. 
You'll have to consciously change the word that comes to you from every source, even from your own mind, from negativity to positivity. That's why we need positive steadfastness in our walk. Positive steadfastness in controlling the way we think. And it's interesting, in 2 Corinthians 10th chapter, after Paul says, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, because that's what this is, the word, bringing every thought into the obedience uh, to Christ. And then he says, and being ready to punish all disobedience. Wouldn't it be awesome if there was a period after that? Because that means we could just go out and start punishing all sorts of disobedience. But he says, being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. How many in here have fulfilled your obedience? Oh, I'm so glad it was quiet. (laughs) If you have fulfilled your obedience to Christ, you are awesome. You are so awesome. I really want to get to know you. Because I will ruin your obedience really quick. (laughs) It goes back to working out your own salvation with fear and trembling, right? I'm ready to punish someone else's disobedience but I need to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling first. And that's why the word says, if you see someone overtaken in a fault, restore them with meekness and fear, lest you fall into the same temptation. (laughs) So we're challenging our minds, challenging our minds to work this out, work this out. Now, since, since the theme of Philippians, if you'll recall, is joy. That's the theme of Philippians. Uh, And if you remember, the the reason that Paul wrote to the Philippian church because of money, that was the whole basis of the book of Philippians. They were the first group of believers to send him a love offering for his ministry. So it caused joy in him. That joyful giving caused joy in them. And the theme of the book then is joy and cheerfulness and thanksgiving. So, uh, in spite of what we're talking about today, it is cheerfulness. So, let's, let's flip this to the other side of the coin. And let me just conclude with just a few verses, a few thoughts of, of what type of obedience that we have. I believe that number one, Paul wants us to have cheerful obedience. Cheerful obedience. Not murmuring. Not murmuring. Cheerful obedience. We talked last week about the, the benefits of being obedient and walking in humility before the Lord. When you walk in humility before him and when you are obedient to his word, you will share the same death, burial, and resurrection as Jesus our Lord and Savior. He will exalt you. Humble yourselves under the hand of God. And in due season, he will exalt you. So exaltation follows humiliation or, or abasement, and it follows obedience. But let, let me help you out here a little bit with this, because I, 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 in reading this, I'm thinking to myself, you know what, Lord, it, there's got to be more to this murmuring thing than, than just complaining. So I'll help you out here a little bit. Murmuring here does not mean when you're sitting at work and it's three o'clock and all of a sudden they dump a big bunch of file folders on their desk and they're all the monthly reports that have to be done by such and such a time and you go, I'm so tired of doing these monthly reports. That's not murmuring. It's complaining. 
Eh. But that's not what's being done. It's not, murmuring is not, oh, I've got to go get my oil changed in my car. and I don't have to, It's so expensive now. That's not murmuring. Murmuring is not, oh, the price of gas is so high. I can't believe it. I'm so frustrated. That's not murmuring. Murmuring is not walking through the grocery store and saying, man, I'd love to get that like I used to, but it's so expensive right now. I'm going to have to get the cheaper brand or I'm going to have to get you know, something else or I might not have to get that at all. And boy, I'll probably lose weight. Jeez. <laughs> That's not murmuring. That's not murmuring. Murmuring in the actual definition is petulant, morose, ill-natured speech. Petulant, morose, dark, ill-natured. That's the first aspect of it. How many know that as believers, that's not really the way we should be? We should not be petulant, morose, childish, immature, dark. That's not the way we should be. That, that's a personality thing. You've got to work on that. But I don't, I don't know if I really ever even see anybody like that around here because we're all great. But more important, more important, the real root of this word is fractious. Fractious. Division and fraction. It means quarrelsome. Always open to argument. Always ready to pick a fight. You know, I'll put it to you this way. That's not who we are. That's not who we want to be. We don't want to pick fights. We don't want to argue. That's not who we are. And really, if, if that's you, please go to another church. Ooh. There's, some, there's a nice one down in the corner down there. Go a little further. There's a real big one at the corner of Raccoon and Kirk. Go there. They have a lot of things you can complain about there. They have a lot more programs, they have a lot more pastors, they have a lot more stuff. You can argue and complain to your heart's content. Well, go to a Baptist church somewhere. We'll get, the Baptists like to argue about everything, so we'll send you a Baptist church. My mother knows some Mennonite churches. They hate everything. You can go there. <laughs> Where in the world did this sermon go? <laughs> we, we, we don't want to be that way, do we? We, we want to be cheerful believers. Of course, there are times we're, we're going to get ground up in the things of this world. There are going to be times we're going to just, it's just going to get too much for us. But for the most part, we want to be cheerful believers that love to contribute and not argue. So that's the first one is, is we need to be cheerful in that way. The second thing is we need cheerful faith. I believe we need cheerful faith or cheerful trust in Jesus. In the midst of difficulty and hardship, as a believer, I can have cheerful trust in Jesus. I can have a positive trust. I can have a joyful demeanor in everything I do as a believer because I know that all things will work together for good somehow. And as I work, I know that he is still working. Where I hesitate, 
He continues to work. As I fluctuate, as I vacillate, he remains the rock of ages, strong and secure. And I can rest in his fullness and his strength. I have to believe that even though there is darkness all around me, he will continue to be my light. I have to believe that even though the way is obscure and dim, he will still shine his light through me. Even though I can't see the way, I can still trust him. Even though the way, the way is blocked, I don't have to murmur, I don't have to grumble, I don't have to complain. I can stand in trust and faith and say, somehow, Jesus, you're going to get me around it, you're going to get me over it, you're going to get me under it, or I'm going to go through it, but I'm going to make it somehow. When the food cabinet is bare, I can trust him to say that he's going to be more than enough. When the the bank account is empty, I can say, you know what, I'm just going to go for a walk and rest because I know that somehow Jesus is going to supply all my needs. When when the doctor gives me a bad report, I, I can trust my heavenly father who is the healer of my body. I don't have to complain. I don't have to murmur. I can stand in cheerful trust and faith. But how many know that takes change in your thinking? The battle is between your two ears. The entire battle is between these two ears. And, and don't worry, we're going to get back to this again in the fourth chapter, aren't we? Whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, virtuous, if there be anything praiseworthy, if there be, think on these things. So this is just part one. I have a little diagram that I'm going to pass out for part two. It's awesome. So cheerful faith. I can have cheerful faith. And then when I have this cheerful faith, then he tells us what happens. Verse 15, that will become blameless and harmless. Now, first of all, stop there just for a moment. Really? Blameless? Wait a minute. Pastor, they kill us. They burn us at the stake. They put all blame on us. Everything that's wrong in the world right now is the fault of Christians. I mean, blameless? No, not blameless necessarily for them. Blameless before my Heavenly Father. And that's all I care about. As they're burning me at the stake or crucifying me to a cross, I don't care about that part. Well, I do care about that part. But I don't care about that part. I just care about what my Heavenly Father is going to say when I stand before him. Blameless. Blameless and harmless. Now that we are harmless. Jesus said it, right? Be gentle as a dove. Be wise as a serpent. Gentle as a dove. So, so we can become an example. And he says, when you do this, in verse 15, you will be in a crooked and perverse generation and you will shine as lights in the world. I, I was listening, and maybe I shouldn't say this. You know what? I forgot my watch again. What time is it? 11.30. Okay. We got a few more minutes. We got another hour. That's good. Um, <clears throat> I, I, you know, you try not to see things. You, you try really hard to not see things. Um, it was the prime minister, uh, the new prime minister of Italy, which I really wish could just be our president. Could we just merge the two countries? Wow. And she, she quoted G.K. Uh, Chesterton. Chesterton was a philosopher, theologian around the time of... Um, C.S. Lewis, they were sort of friends, and he's a deep philosopher and deep thinker. And he said, there's going to come a time in every country, and in America in particular, where you are going to have to do your best to convince people that two plus two is four. 
She quoted that in a message. You're going to have to try to convince them that the day is light and the night is dark. You're going to have to try to convince, you're going to have to try to convince them of the basic fundamentals of existence because they will try to change everything. So I'm, I'm trying to stay away from all type of input, but I heard about these, the Vermont high school volleyball team, girls volleyball team. How many of you have heard this? Maybe I shouldn't. <laughs> My mother said I could. Okay. Okay. It is very interesting. We're talking about two plus two equals four, right? Okay. So there is a transgender boy, young man. These are 14 and 15 year old kids now. These are not 18, 19, 20 in college. These are minors. These are underage minors. Why am I yelling at you? You know this. He was transgender, and he wanted to be on the girls' volleyball team because he's now a woman. And so he was in the locker room getting undressed with all the girls as they were coming out of the showers. Did I say these were underage girls? And they got uncomfortable. And so they all left, and they began to complain about this man in the locker room and charges are now being brought against the girls for sexual harassment. Two plus two equals five. Two plus two equals three. Two plus two equals whatever you want it to equal. I don't know about you, Brandon, but I sure hope there's a whole lot of Vermont par- parents at the next, past, uh, next uh, board meeting. There better be. Now, why did I say that? Cheerful example. Lights in a dark world. Folks, we are coming to the time where stop apologizing, start telling everybody two plus two equals four. And I know it's hard. I know it's hard if you're a teacher or if you're in a professional area, but it may cost you your job. But you're going to have to start saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, you're a 15-year-old boy. You are not going into the girls' locker room. I'm sorry. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm looking at your monthly report here, and the figures are not adding up. You do know we still have math, right? And numbers add up. Wow. Lights. Lights. Now, let me tell you about being, being a light, though. And, and I'll, I'll conclude with this, because it's very simple. Uh, he concentrates more on the word light than he does shining. And sometimes we get it mixed up. We try to concentrate on shining more than being a light. And so uh, I believe if you concentrate on working out your own salvation with fear and trembling, then you will automatically become a light in a dark place. You won't have to try to shine. You will just shine. It'll just happen. You'll just walk into the room. I remember one time when I, <laughs> I might have even said this, I was substitute teaching at the, the joint vocational school and I was in a uh, senior high class. Uh, there were a bunch of seniors and uh, we were waiting for the bell to ring and of course they want to run out as fast as they can so I'm standing there at the doorway just sort of standing like a bouncer so they wouldn't get out into the halls. And so they're standing there and, and we sort of built up a rapport a little bit and they said, one of the kids said, 
Mr. V, Mr. V, how many sexes are there? How many genders are there? I said, there are two. Oh, they erupted. I'm triggered, I'm triggered, I'm triggered. Now, they, they were joking, most of them. Two. You ask me the question, I'll give you the answer. I'm not an idiot. There are two. I didn't even have to think about the answer. I didn't even have to go, wait a minute, one, two. I didn't even have to think, wait a minute, let me think of my wife's body, then let me think of my body. One, two. Now, let me give you something counterintuitive here for your walk in holiness. It works the same way. It helps us to shine. The more you concentrate on your holiness and the struggle that you have to be holy, the more you will struggle with holiness. The more you concentrate on Jesus and listening to the voice of his spirit and doing what the word tells you, the holier you will automatically be without even trying. It's counterintuitive. It doesn't make sense. You, you think, oh, I gotta, I gotta concentrate. I gotta get my list of do's and don'ts out today, and I gotta make sure I don't do this and I do it. I gotta think this way and think that way. No, just start filling yourself with His Word and His Spirit, and just start walking the way He wants you to walk. And all of a sudden, you're gonna find out, hey, I'm not bothered by that anymore. Hey, that doesn't affect me anymore. Hey, I used to be real negative about that, but I'm positive about it now. He will start changing you by the power of the Holy Spirit because we need to be cheerful, cheerful examples in a dark world. Not grumbling examples that are trying to work out our own salvation in that way. No, cheerful examples. So we have that cheerful faith. We have that cheerful example. And that that leads us to just that the final concept of this whole thing is I can do this all cheerfully because, folks, you and I, we know the end, don't we? We know the end of all things. We know that. But everyone in this room knows the end of your own life too, don't you? There's going to come a time that if Jesus doesn't come back before that, they're going to close the casket lid, and when they do, you're going to see Jesus, and everything's going to be wonderful. Hallelujah. That fourth cone will kick in, and you're going to see colors you never saw before. You're going to see things and hear things you never saw before as you stand before his throne. So we know the end, so I can be confident. So I don't have to murmur, I don't have to argue, I don't have to complain, because I know who I am, I know who I've believed, and I'm confident that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day, and I can rest. I'll give you a good example. We, we, we don't have cable TV, and so we don't get to watch baseball. Uh, we get to watch football, but not baseball, because baseball is America's sport, and that's why they took it off TV. Two plus two equals five. <laughs> so uh, I know the Indians, are Guardians. The Indians are in the playoffs playing the Yankees. And so what I do is my son in Cleveland will always tell me what happened. Oh, they won again. Oh, awesome. So then I go to YouTube and I watch the. 10 to 15 minute replays of the game. I can watch the entire 15 minutes of replays with happy, joyful thoughts because I know they won. So every bad play, I can just go... (laughs) Every error... Every time the Yankees hit a quadrillion home run, run, doesn't matter. I guess I know the end result. So I can be happy and cheerful the entire 
time. Do you get the application? You can be happy today. You can be cheerful today. Because you know how it's all going to end. Oh, but there's a big battle in the middle. Yeah, there is. But we win in the end. So no more murmuring for us. No more complaining. No more disputing. We win in the end. And I can be cheerful in my walk. I can be positively positive and steadfast in my walk with him. Let's bow our heads. Father, I just thank you that you not only have given us a view of the end for the very end, but also for our own lives, you've given us that view. But also, you've given us an assurance that we go through, when we go through everything, Paul said these present sufferings are worth nothing compared to the weight of glory that we're going to receive in the end. So we can walk through every situation with bold assurance. We can walk through every situation. Oh, sure, when the, when the pain hits us, we're going to wince, we're going to moan, of course. We're human. But deep inside of our heart, we know we're getting stronger every day. And good things are happening every day. We're getting better and better and better every day because we're marching toward that ultimate goal. So help us to be cheerful with a cheerful faith that stands firm in what you have for us. And we could do it as we listen to your voice. We thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's stand together. I don't know about you, but I'm so glad I have this word which is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And when I hear silly, stupid things that just want to make me take a brick and throw it at the TV, then take a second brick and just start beating my head with it until I'm gone, I don't have to do it. I can go to this instead, right? Hallelujah. If you're glad, say amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Turn around. Bless somebody. Go in his presence worshiping him. Something trying to steal my mood My crazy thoughts trying to kill my groove That's when I hear a voice Whisper through the noise That brings a bigger picture in